0: Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. i would seen how amazing it is when you put simple but powerful tools in the hands of people who haven't been able to access them before. And that's really what keeps us going at Canva is that passion for seeing people create new things, opening up new opportunities for them and making them feel like they can have a bigger impact on the world than they thought they could before they found Canva.
1: On today's episode, I'm speaking to Cameron Adams, one of three young co-founders behind the wildly successful homegrown Aussie tech startup Canva. Now, the online design tool, Canva, has become a business darling ever since uni student entrepreneur Melanie Perkins and her now fiancé, Cliff Obrecht, burst onto the scene with the idea that every ordinary person should be enabled to design anything online, be it brochures, websites, presentations, to birthday cards and flyers, and to make it as easy as possible. In just eight years, Canva has grown like Topsy. In 2018, it was valued at US $1 billion, giving it tech unicorn status. And just in recent weeks, another funding round now values this startup at more than $8 billion Australian dollars. Cameron Adams has been there since the beginning, but he had come from a stint working at Google And maybe, just maybe, he'd managed to sprinkle some of the global tech giant's magic dust on the pint-sized Sydney startup. Welcome, Cameron, and thank you for joining me on Build It, Thou Come. Yeah, real pleasure to be here. Now, it's great talking to you now because Canva has been so much in the news lately with a new successful funding round and a new valuation, which we will get to shortly. But perhaps we could start with, I mean, Canva is such a jewel of a startup. It's been so successful in a relatively short space of time. It's still growing. You're still hiring people even through COVID. But for those who might live under a rock, what is Canva now? in your view? Well,
0: Canva is a design tool, which to some people can mean it's quite niche, but we view design as something that anyone in the world can use and something that anyone in the world can get value out of. So really, design is about communicating, communicating your ideas, communicating your thoughts, and that can mean anything from designing a presentation through to designing a flyer or a business card or even a T-shirt that might have your message on it.
1: So you also have stock libraries of photos. You've actually, you know, bought a few acquisitions lately. What have they added?
0: So we, you know, traditionally Canva's viewed as a design tool. So you can use it in a web browser or on your mobile phone. Uh, But that's just one piece of the puzzle. And we've always recognized that content is always a very valuable part of that. So you can bring people to your tool, but if there's nothing there to inspire them or get them started, then it's really difficult for them, particularly for non-designers who are our main audience. So we've always focused on having lots of brilliant templates, templates that are very trend-driven, are very current, what people need right now, uh, as well as all the bits that go into a design. So that can be photographs, illustrations, even music and stock video that we have now for creating videos. Uh, So it's all these bits that go into what we call a design and what people communicate with. And it's really important that people have access to all those little bits because traditionally it's been really hard to get those. And graphic designers used to spend hours finding just the right font or just the right photograph to use in an ad. And having it all in the one tool makes it incredibly valuable and also makes it a really seamless, easy-to-use experience.
1: So the original, I'm going to call it a humble idea because it sort of probably started out as this simple idea. It was Melanie Perkins and Cliff Obrecht's, your partners, following their successful school yearbooks business. But you were there from the beginning of Canva. So how did you meet them? And how did you come to team up to be the founding three?
0: We were actually introduced through one of my old bosses at Google, uh, Lars Rasmussen, who you might know as one of the founders of Google Maps. Yes, very famous. Yeah, he got me to talk to (laughs) Melanie and Cliff just generally about technology. So they they were running a school yearbook business at the time and it was run using Flash, which I think officially died this year. Um, (laughs) So it was a, (laughs) a pretty bad technology to bet your horse on. And I went in to have a chat to them about, what we could do in browsers nowadays with html and javascript and and css and talk to them about what their product was what problem they were trying to solve and through the course of that conversation we went out for lunch and mel started telling me about her idea for taking it broader and taking design to almost every conceivable use that you can think of and that was the genesis for canva empowering the world to design anything I didn't sign on just that day. Mel gave me the idea and it kind of ticked away in the back of my head. I was running another startup at the time and and that was going pretty well. And then a few months later, I just couldn't get the idea out of my head. So I got back in touch with Mel and and asked them how they were going and they still haven't been able to kick it off the ground yet. Um, So we joined forces and I think together we made really the perfect team in terms of product building, design sense business now, just hustling to get things done. And we came together, we started prototyping the product. We raised funding about six months after we got together.
1: Which was what, in about 2011?
0: That was 2012 when we first got together. So middle of 2012, we're coming up to our eight year anniversary. Yeah. And the product itself has been out for seven years. Yeah. So this is long before launch. Yeah, so it took us about a year to put the whole thing together and we launched it in August 2013.
1: So, I mean, you say Canva was always this great mix of business now as well as design and obviously the technology expertise as well. So you really brought that design And the computer nerd stuff as well.
0: (laughs) Computer nerd stuff, yes. Yes,
1: sorry, that was terribly insulting. (laughs) The computer brilliance, of course. (laughs) I've got a bit of a
0: mixed history, so I've always straddled the the barrier between technology and design, and particularly in terms of like building digital products, it's really important to be able to understand both. And yeah, I brought that uh, to the early days and worked quite closely with Mel, who She has this vision for how she wants the world to be, and we work together to build it and define that. And Cliff is more on the operations side and the business side, and he's been fantastic through all our fundraising and putting deals together and acquisitions. And we all play lots of different roles in the early days. Uh, It's not like the company we have now where there's someone to deal with everything. We just had to pitch in and help each other out, dive into our specialties, start hiring the people that were going to take on our roles and our responsibilities, and it's been growing ever since.
1: Yeah, so really, I mean, you took on, at that time when you started, you, you really took on what, I mean, even Microsoft Word, Adobe Photoshop and all those, which, you know, were still clunky and difficult to use, weren't they?
0: Yeah, there's a whole suite of tools that do a bunch of different stuff. A lot of them are targeted at professionals, So the traditional graphic design tools were pretty much only usable by 1% of the world and making that a seamless and easy to use experience was our main goal. But there's also lots of other areas where design applies and and people use all sorts of weird and wonderful tools to do their designs. So making lost dog flyers in Microsoft Word and using PowerPoint to create advertisements. But none of those tools is really well suited to their job. Um, So we've kind of been picking them off one by one and working our way up the pyramid. And just recently, we got to the pretty meaty areas of presentations and documents and particularly with collaboration in those areas. So lots of people being able to work on the one design and produce something really high quality at the end of it.
1: So, where does Canvas sit in that sort of hierarchy of tools that people worldwide really want to use, even at this stage? I know you haven't quite dominated the world completely yet, but you know you have knocked off some of those big players, haven't you? Yeah, I mean that's
0: that's been our target. We started. You know, we had a big vision when we started, so we always wanted design to be done through lots of different areas and lots of different design types. We call them doc types. But we started off in a narrow area because we knew we couldn't tackle everything all at the same time. So we looked primarily at social media and marketing because we saw a big need there and social networks like Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest were just beginning to start out. So people were really beginning to understand how visuals could really – power their business, power their communication. And there are lots of social media consultants around, lots of people figuring out how to market their business online. And we really tapped into that and owned that market, quickly gathered a, a following amongst those type of people. And from there, we've we've slowly branched out. Uh, and we've seen people use Canva for everything from starting their first business to running a charity, running their school fates, doing birthday invitations, wedding invitations. Lots of presentations are made nowadays. We see pretty much every startup we see is using Canva to do their presentations in. So it's slowly bled throughout all these areas, but there's still a lot more to go.
1: Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting you're talking about, you know, the the kind of everyday things that normal individuals do, like the lost dog flyer or the, you know, advertising for fates up to what big companies use as
0: well. Yeah, yeah, really big companies. We actually started more of a concerted push towards enterprises late last year. Um, so we had a launch in New York, fortunately, before everything went a bit crazy. And that was really focused on big companies, big organizations with lots of people interacting with their brand. So if you think of an organization like American Airlines or Yelp or the Huffington Post, they have lots of people producing assets, but they need them all to have a consistent tone and voice. They need a centralized place for control if they want to produce templates that other people can use. And Canva gives them a really great tool for doing that because they can have this core team that's producing the designs, making new creative, figuring out what the brand is. And then they can have people on the ground like salespeople, marketing people, or journalists or content creators who take those and adapt them to what they need, but still keep the core of what that company's brand is.
1: Okay, so you've we've just gone through a huge kind of step from starting it in 2012 to now helping companies, you know, as big as those ones you mentioned. So there's a, a long way in between that. Let's just sort of unpick that a bit more. I mean, you said it was always a global vision, like definitely with Melanie, she always had a big vision from the beginning to democratise design for everyone. I think was her early phrase. Was it? Also a big vision for you in the beginning, given that you had tried a design startup, which hadn't worked, had it?
0: Yeah, I hadn't focused purely on design for a while, but I'd worked in the communications field. So Google, I worked on a product called Google Wave, which was trying to change the way we communicate. And after I left Google, I started a startup that was focused on email and how we consume email, read email, make it more productive, more efficient. But over the years, I'd also worked with a lot of different creative tools. So this is stuff for creating pictures, creating imagery and creating different designs. So it was always a passion of mine. And I'd seen how amazing it is when you put simple but powerful tools in the hands of people who haven't been able to access them before. And giving people that access kind of opens their eyes to what they can create and really fuels their imagination. And you see people who don't think themselves creative or wouldn't pick up a pen or a pencil using these tools and creating stuff that they're really proud of. And that's really what keeps us going at Canva is that passion for seeing people create new things, opening up new opportunities for them and making them feel like they can have a bigger impact on the world than they thought they could before they found Canva.
1: Yeah, look, it's just been an extraordinary journey, really. How did you fund it at the start? I mean, you were maybe a bit further along and you'd worked a couple of places. You might have had a little bit of savings. Was it bootstrapped kind of from the start, beg, borrowed and stolen funds? Not stolen, but you know what I
0: mean. <laughs> I think we each had our own savings. Mine had quickly dwindled after my <laughs> first startup where I wasn't wasn't being paid anything. We hadn't got any funding yet. So I moved on from that to Canva and we still had to eat into our savings. And we did that for six months until we landed that first round of funding. And that first round of funding was really crucial for us to be able to bring on other team members, pay them a wage, also help us eat and put a roof over our heads and really set up the long-term growth of the company.
1: Was that first funding, was the very first investor, was that from Silicon Valley? Or was that an Australian investor? And, and do you remember that feeling between the three of you when you got that first key investor to actually give you money?
0: Yeah, it was really hard to land that first investor. Mel kind of travelled the world, pitching at all sorts of weird and wonderful events. She ended up at a kiteboarding event on Hawaii where a lot of VCs and entrepreneurs were congregating and it, and it was quite a popular event for pitching your idea and, and getting funding. Uh, we didn't directly get funding from there, but particularly that first round of funding that you get with your startup, it's all about networking. So finding someone, having them refer them to someone else, refining your story, pitching your story to the right person with the right message for them at the right time. There's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of chance and luck in there. and There's a lot of favors being done by other people just to introduce you to the right person. I mean eventually we wound up in Silicon Valley and got a few people on board. It's really hard to get that first round because everyone is keen to invest, but only if someone mm. else is willing to invest. Yeah. So getting that first person who actually writes a check and sends it off into your bank account is the crucial part. And that's that's when all the dominoes fall over.
1: And who was that first person and in- There was a
0: couple of them. So we got together a bunch of angels in that first round, so individuals who had a bit of money. And, you know, they were pretty much over the line. Like they they said, they'd put money in if we got a more institutional investor. And we got a fund on, I can't remember their name in the first round. I think it was Matrix Matrix or someone like that. Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon Valley. Yeah. So they eventually came on and that first round was about half, half American, half Australian. So once we got Silicon Valley, there were a bunch of Australian investors who said they'd tip in. And kind of towards the end of that first round, we uh, made a deal with Blackbird here in Australia, who've been Mm -hmm. a real success story in the local venture scene.
1: Blackbird Ventures, yeah.
0: Yeah, they've been champions of us for the last eight years, ever since that first round.
1: Yeah, fantastic story. And they have been with you all the way. What is it about them that sort of do you think attracted them to you? I think they're they're looking
0: for, you know, they're not looking for Australian companies just working with Australia. They're looking for Australian companies as well as other overseas companies, but a lot of Australians who want to tackle the world, take on the world and take on problems that everyone around the world is facing and that have these massive opportunities. And I think prior to 2012 it was quite a different mindset than a lot of other Australian investors who are looking for immediate returns, kind of like you might get from a mining investment, put, yeah. uh, you know, a million dollars in, five years later you'll, you'll have this dividend
1: return or this payout. So in tech it's much chance here, right? But certainly back then.
0: Yeah, it is, it is a lot chance here and, you know, the typical Silicon Valley model basically looks for these massive home runs that are going to pay off with the realization that a lot of the stuff you invest in isn't going to pay off. So if you look at a typical a good Silicon Valley investment portfolio, if they invest in 10 companies, seven of them will be failures, like they'll lose everything, two of them wow. will be moderate successes, and then there's the one that's going to be big, whether that's Airbnb, Facebook, Google, whatever, yeah. uh, or, or Canva.
1: <laughs> right, but there have been seven others that fell over.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of put into their models and that's that's how they think about it. And there's always that really high risk that someone you put money into isn't going to succeed for whatever reason, timing, team, product, luck, chance, whatever it is. Yeah. But you need to find that one that will really hit a home run.
1: So Cameron, why did you go the venture capital route in the first place? Why not, I don't know, maybe bootstrap it yourself or was it just sort of growing too quickly to even do that? I
0: think in terms of our ambition, we wanted to be worldwide and we wanted to hit a really big audience. So I mean, we're looking at billions of people in the world that can use Canva. And when you look at that, the reach that you need, the growth that you need to grow those numbers, find users, get them using your product, the team that you need to do that uh, to rapidly scale, and then the competition that you're also faced with. You're up against companies like Microsoft that have a massive war chest, they're quite profitable already, billions of billions of dollars at their disposal. And you need to be able to Go toe-to-toe with them. So you need the money that will help you bring on the team, the money that will help you write content that uh, appeals to people, that will help us find photographers and illustrators that want to come onto the platform and ultimately, you know, uh, provide the marketing dollars that we need to spread the word of Canberra as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, how has the Canva business model evolved? Because, you know, you started giving away a lot of product and you still give away a lot of product for free. So is it what I've heard described as a freemium model, meaning some of it's free. And then if you need more sophisticated product or you're a bigger organisation, then you pay a premium, a subscription model?
0: Yeah, we're, we're definitely a typical freemium product. So, we always wanted people to be able to get use out of the product without having to pay us for it. And the value that we see through that is that they use the tool a lot more, they're more likely to recommend it to their friends, and you set up these growth loops that get your own customers to find new customers for you. Right. So that that way we, we don't have to pay as much for marketing, we don't have to pay for user acquisition, et cetera. And, you know, we've always wanted that from day one uh, until... We, Till the end of time. So we set up the product in a way that someone could come into Canva, upload their own photos, create their own designs, and not have to pay us a dollar. But we also want to add stuff to the product that is really valuable to people, makes their jobs easier, helps them get things done faster. And it's for those features that we get them to pay. So if they want to Get their job done quicker, they can give us a little bit of money and they can they can get it done faster. Otherwise, they can they can keep going and design all their own stuff and find all their own photography and and happily use Canva without paying us a dollar. But in the early days, our business model was centered around paying for the elements that you use in a design. So we knew that when people come to Canva, they could put you know, fonts and photos together in different ways, but a lot of people didn't have high-quality photography that they could use or good illustrations that they could find. So we set about creating a library of elements, both photos and illustrations, that people could use in their design and each time they used one of them, it would cost them a dollar. So this is kind of tackling the stock photography industry, which was uh, around at the time and, you know, they still are. But their model was that they would get you to pay a lot for an image. So stock photography at the time would cost you anywhere from $10 for the cheapest image all the way up to $100, $500 if you really wanted a super high quality image. And the reason they needed to do that is because when you paid for that image and downloaded it off their site, you could do whatever you want with it. So you could take it, stick it on a billboard. They would be none the wiser. Right. The advantage that we had is that we had this content library but we also had the design tool. So we knew when people were using a particular photo, we could restrict them from using that same photo in a billboard, as a flyer, as a website, or as a presentation. So we knew that when they were paying a dollar for it, they were just getting that one usage out of it, which let us open up design to an entirely new market of people who previously thought it was too expensive or didn't have the tools to do it, didn't have the expertise to do it. And that's been our massive advantage is having that, massive market that can use Canva and can pick it up, can love the experience, can talk to their friends and their colleagues about it and get more people in. So over time, so we had that library built up and over the next couple of years as we first launched our product, saw lots of different types of people coming in and we saw a particular type of user that was running a business and using Canva for work. And we saw that they had particular needs around organization, working with brands and collaborating with people. And that's functionality that we've split out into what we kind of think of as our second product, which is Canva for Work, which is now Canva Pro. And that's a slice of the product that's directed at people running a business and has a bunch of features that they need. And because they are running a business and getting direct benefit out of using Canva, they're willing to pay a bit more for it. So we started a subscription service on that, uh, which costs $12 US a month And people can pay for that, get a brilliant brand kit that they can use with their company, access to all of our images and elements entirely for free, access to a whole bunch of premium fonts and a whole bunch of other stuff. And lots of them are super happy to get that. And that really fueled our revenue growth over the last few years. And subscription is a massive part of our business now.
1: Right, and then Canva for enterprise is sort of similar to that but for bigger teams, bigger companies?
0: Yeah, so Canva Pro is good for single users like the florist around the corner all the way up to even 50-person businesses. But once you get bigger and you acquire groups within groups Mm. and different types of people to have different access, that's when enterprise comes into play and when you can start subscribing to that different product.
1: Yeah. And Cameron, just out of interest, because I've been in the news journalism business for a long time, in your stock photo library, do you have news type photos that creators and photographers have taken and you've bought from them? Is there copyright involved? What's in this these stock libraries?
0: Yes, we spend a lot of time looking for contributors and looking for really high quality stuff. And we do direct deals with those contributors. Okay. So in the early days, we had this big vault of hard drives that we received from photographers. That was like our gold mine because wow. if we lost those. That would be the end of the business.
1: Yeah. Uh, we had
0: those hard drives and we we're uploading them to our servers and we had agreements that we coordinated with each of those contributors and they were signing on. They were making a bit of a risk as well because it's an entirely different business model, a different, entirely different way of getting paid. Fortunately they did and a lot of them have been very successful on Canva. Uh, So we continue to seek our contributors who have really unique photography, really unique elements, really unique illustrators, and we bring them onto the platform and they receive a cut of every element of theirs that gets used. So anytime someone uses your photo on Canva, part of the sale goes to us, part of it goes to the contributor. And we've also I recently done a few deals with bigger libraries like Getty, which have allowed us to have really big scale inside the library.
1: If you read the media stories, the Canva journey seems to be seamless. It's been blessed, hard, yes, but pretty much, I guess, a dream run. But has it all been smooth sailing in reality? I'm sure not.
0: Definitely hasn't been smooth sailing, but every moment is a learning moment. So there have been things that have gone wrong You know, parts of the product that we built that never got used, schemes, plans that we thought would head in one direction but ended up going in the other. But you just have to take those in your stride and adapt to them and learn from them and use those moments to improve your processes, improve your product, improve your organization.
1: What was your first year like? Just paint us a picture of, you know, kind of the difficulty, the challenges. I guess you were still really small. You said before you were all doing, well, certainly the you three founders were doing lots of different jobs, lots of hours too, I imagine.
0: Yeah, the first year, I mean, for me particularly, I was focusing on products, so figuring out what our product looked like, what would appeal to the types of users that we wanted, and then how we're going to build it. So, it's quite a tricky technical proposition to engineer it all and get it to work in a browser, and we spent a lot of time on that. And I think it was quite revolutionary when we launched Canva because nothing that rich had been launched in the browser before. Kind of halfway through that year, I think, we started expanding the team as we got our funding and, you know, couldn't have possibly been me or Dave Herndon, our CTO, who just built the product. So we needed to bring on more engineers and we also needed to bring on designers to help us fill out the library and, and build our templates. So we started slowly growing the team in that first year and we went from the three of us as founders just sitting around a spare table in another office to having about 10 people by the time we launched in August 2013. By that time we'd moved out to our own office down on Devonshire Street in Surrey Hills, if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we launched the product roughly a year after we, you know, first got together. And that first year was just a whole heap of learning and understanding really how to grow the business. So we went from zero users I remember when we launched, uh, we launched on a Monday night. That was good, like, press time for the States. And we got a whole bunch of articles in places like TechCrunch, et cetera, and we're just waiting for oh. this flood of flood of people to come into <laughs> our homepage and sign up. We had a live dashboard going. It was about 11 p.m. And we had live Google Analytics there where little droplets drop in every time someone visits your site. Yeah. And we, we started to see, like, Five come in in one minute and we got really excited and then it slowed down to like one every minute and then it (laughs) kind of petered out to nothing. Oh, no. So slightly disappointed, (laughs) we went to sleep that night. But, you know, it's very slowly, you know, you don't Mm. reach 30 million users overnight. It starts off very slowly and you need those first few people to take a chance with you and take a risk and try your product out and gradually start spreading the word of it. By the end of the first week, we had I think it was about 5,000 signups By the end of the first month, we had something like 30,000. And by the end of the year, we were close to 750,000 people who'd signed up for the product. Wow. Yeah, over the years, you know, it just builds up. So we hit our first million and we had a big celebration for that. We actually, we use food as a way of celebrating quite often. So for our first million users, we went out to get schnitzels at the place around the corner for lunch. <laughs> And we started making, a, started making a tradition of that until we we're like having schnitzels every week and then we had to ease back on it.
1: <laughs> so take me through then the trajectory of users. What, by 2018, I think you had, what, 10 million users?
0: 2018, yeah, something like that. Uh, but for the last few years, we've roughly doubled every year. So we just hit just over 30 million active users. Wow. Yeah, so if you walk that back, 2018, 10 million sounds about right.
1: So when you say 30 million active users, are they like you've counted one person coming back five times to the site or are they all different individuals?
0: They're all different individuals. So we an active user as someone who's come and, and made something on camera in the last month.
1: That's just brilliant. Congratulations on that. That's extraordinary. I mean, did that even beat your targets or is that what you had said, you know, by this time in 2020, we're going to have 30 million active users?
0: I don't think when we started, we didn't really <laughs> do a lot of projection when we started. And
1: Well, not necessarily when you started, but say even in 2015, 16, did you still have these incredible targets or have they exceeded them every year?
0: Uh, they... Before we started setting formal targets, I think we started setting really formal targets, particularly around user growth, in the last three or four years. And we've we've gotten better at projecting. Sometimes it's a bit hand wavy, and if you do, if you're not used to doing that data analysis, it's really hard to set a, a target that's still stretching you but still achievable. So it's a careful balance. In the early days, you know, you're just hoping for as much growth as possible, and you don't particularly measure it. You just look at where it's going and tell the story of, of where it's been. We started looking at more formal targets, as I mentioned, in the last three years. You know, we roughly apply the doubling metric and it's a really – doubling is a good way of stretching yourself because it is a massive amount of change when you look at some of the incumbents in the market. And the amount of work that you have to do this year as opposed to last year to double your numbers – is immense you have to think about different strategies different ways of doing it different way of organizing your team and different things to spend time and money on so it's always a really good exercise at the start of the year looking at those targets and going okay what are we going to do different this year that's going to help us grow even more than we did last year
1: So is that pressure maybe to, say, double your targets, be they active users or revenue growth, that sort of thing, is that coming from you three founders because you know there's a lot more people in the world who will use and love your product or is it coming from investors? It's a combination
0: of both. I mean, we really want to grow the company and have the biggest impact we can And we know that getting Canva out there and telling more people about it means that there's more positive impact that the product's gonna have. But you also do talk to people like investors and even staff at Canva, and you have to set expectations with them as well. So through talking about it, talking about how we're gonna grow all the different channels we can grow in, the new types of products we can build, you are laying out a roadmap for them and almost putting in a promise of stuff that you're going to do. And if you don't hit those promises, you know, it feels bad for you because you've set the goal and and you're not hitting it. But also for investors, if, you know, if we're going for another investment round, they're looking for particular sorts of growth as well.
1: Yeah. Cameron, you're responsible, as you said before, um, for the design of the product, its simplicity for users, its user interface and the ease of that, you know, I guess the whole drag and drop model and how critical is the product? I mean, you wouldn't have any active users, would you, without getting that user interface right and that product design right?
0: Yeah, the product is one of the most critical pieces for us. You know, it's the type of company that we are. We're very product focused and everyone who works at Canva thinks a lot about the experience and making sure that for every type of person that comes to Canva, they have a good experience and get what they need out of Canva. It is hard to build something like that. You know, we're constantly building new things in Canva. Lots of new ideas pop up, lots of different markets pop up, whether that's, you know, businesses in Indonesia or people using it on their mobile phone in Brazil or Russia. And you have to deal with all those and make sure they have a great experience. So we have lots of teams that focus on all these different bits of the product um, and they're in charge of hitting a certain goal. So an example might be the video team who's in charge of the video creation tool with Inside Canva and they need to make the video product work really well and service the needs of people who want to make a video and it's the same for presentations.
1: So you have a specific team say for presentations and they work on every aspect of that?
0: Yeah, we kind of break break the product up into little bits that one team can focus on and be really empowered to make changes to that, make improvements to that. And I've lost count of how many how many of those teams we have now, probably about 30. Yeah, but they're all they're all working on different parts of the product. So we have a printed products team who just work on the experience of designing a printed thing like a business card or a poster. And what happens when you click the print button, and it sends it off to a printing plant somewhere around the world and then gets it delivered to your doorstep. We have a team that focus on enterprise, obviously, team that focuses on presentations, a whole bunch of different use cases and different parts of the
1: product. Just quite extraordinary. So you can actually get the physical flyers in your hand if that's what you need, or you can get your digital flyer sent to Instagram or Facebook or wherever. Yeah.
0: I mean, a lot of people, you know, a lot of communication done digitally now, but print yeah. and, and physical things is still a massive part of the world. We saw we saw a bit of a dip through COVID as people are like, figuring out where they were going to work and and where they were going to live. But print has roared back in the last few months and we're still seeing a huge demand for printed goods.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Why do you think it's been so successful? In other words, I'm saying why do customers come back? I mean, you know, lots of young ones have, uh, 20-, 25-year-olds have great ideas. Your idea worked What is it that consumers love about it?
0: It is that experience and we've thought a lot about how people arrive at Canva, how they get something they want done and how they leave satisfied. So it's really important that you think about that life cycle of people coming into your business or your product and if they leave satisfied, it means that they'll personally come back because they know that your tool can help them do a job but it also means they'll, right. they'll talk to other people about it. And yeah. countless people have been like, oh, that's a, that was an amazing presentation. How did you do that? And their obvious answer is Canva or that's an awesome poster. Where did you get that done? I did that on Canva. And we think that only by creating that product experience that people truly love that you're going to be able to spread it and, you know, effectively market it, you know, You can fire as many marketing dollars behind a crappy product as you want, but if people land there and don't have a good experience and don't get what they want out of it, then it's wasted money. So making sure they have the best time when they're in your product is extremely important for us.
1: So in a sense, you're also saying you
0: solve a problem for people. Yeah, exactly. It's not an app where people go in and have to figure out how they're going to use this, connecting them between what Canva does and something that they can achieve out there in the real world. I mean, it's a digital product, but everything you create in Canva has some impact somewhere, whether that's uh, communicating with your friends, trying to get your first business off the ground, trying to get more funding for your charity. There's something out there that you're trying to achieve. People don't come to Canva just because they want to design something. They come to Canva because they want to create something that helps them get something done.
1: You've also had to massively grow your teams, your employees, and rapidly in seven years you've gone from, what, three of you to now around a 1,000 employees, as I understand it. How challenging has that internal scale-up been?
0: Yeah, the the scale has been pretty tricky. We've opened offices in different countries, which is always challenging. We've had to deal with the number of teams that we're working with as well. So I mentioned before, you know, we have close to 30 different product teams. That's very different to the first two years when we just had one product team and you could talk to all the engineers and the designers that were on that team. Now there's a multiplicity of them. You can't possibly talk to everyone that's working on the product or making a decision about Canva. So you need to figure out ways of delegating obviously, but also spreading the vision, making sure people are heading in the right direction and giving them the empowerment to lead their teams and bring other people into the mission, communicate to them. And it's like a cascading thing where if you set a really clear vision and direction at the top, it should bleed down to all the teams that go throughout the company.
1: Yeah, your main office is still here in Sydney, but you have an office still in Manila and one in Wuhan and in Beijing?
0: Yeah, so we have Close to 500 people here in Sydney, which is where a lot of the product development gets done. Got an office in Manila, which has around about 250 people now, I think. And then, yeah, those two offices in China. We just opened an office in Austin, Texas as well.
1: I imagine, Cameron, that Wuhan has had enormous challenges for you to look after your staff there, to, I guess, even go through thoughts about do we keep it open? How does it operate once COVID is over?
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously that was the first place that got hit throughout COVID. And, Mm. you know, in those early days, the Wuhan office was dealing with it. We didn't really think it would become a global pandemic, But we rapidly looked at Wuhan, looked at the people who were working there and made sure that they were safe and that they were set up to be safe with their families as well as continue their work if they wanted to. So we quickly went into a work from home in Wuhan and we actually learned a lot from that, which kind of spread around the world as the spread of the pandemic necessitated the change in work environment everywhere in the world.
1: Yeah. Cameron, just back to sort of employees, and I mean, you yourself have gone from being a really, an individual craftsperson. I mean, you were a graphic designer of your own work, and now you have to not only manage and inspire and empower people, but you have to delegate, you have to work collaboratively and, you know, depend on others to do the sort of work you might have taken enormous pride in doing yourself. How has that transition been?
0: It's been tricky for me. Like I get a lot of pride out of the stuff that I can do with my own two hands. And it always feels amazing when you create something, whether it's physical or digital and see people interacting with it. And it has been tricky for me. I think over the years, there's just, you come to the realization that the impact you can have is far greater through an extended team. So I could dive into the product now and code something up or design it, but we have 5,500 people that can do that for us. And me as a founder who's gone through the last eight years with Canva, built up an immense amount of knowledge and experience, knows a huge amount of the team and also knows the hurdles that we have in the way to, to building stuff. It's my job to kind of get rid of all those hurdles, help the teams achieve what they need to and help all those people come together and create something that is still coherent, still moves in the same direction, but is you know meeting the challenges of this massive market and all the different types of parts of the product that we're building at the moment. So like keeping this ever-growing machine going is probably the biggest impact that we can have.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's an extraordinary testament to you that you've had this incredible growing learning curve and and personal growth in sort of managing as well you made unicorn status tech unicorn status i think in early 2018 when Canva was valued at over 1 billion US dollars the most recent funding round of june 2020 you raised 87 million which valued Canva at 8.7 billion Australian dollars. I mean, how did that feel to sort of get unicorn status? And the, the valuation is kind of important, even though it's only on paper, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's a really achieving unicorn status was interesting, I think, because, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight for us. Whereas in the media, no. it kind of happens overnight and it's a big announcement. And people are like, wow, overnight you're worth a billion dollars. And that's definitely the vibe that you get from people. But for us, it was a six-year journey. And as you mentioned, there've been lots of hurdles and trip-ups along the way and, and things that have gone right and things that have gone wrong. So getting there, I think, is not a massive moment of celebration for us, but it is a nice validation that we're on the right path. And a billion dollars sounds like a lot for the valuation of a company, but we also know that we've got a really long way to go. There's so many things we want to do, so many different types of products we want to create. There's so many people in the world who haven't heard of Canva that could really get value out of it. And taking this product to them, adapting the product to their needs, still like a massive journey that we've, we've got to go on. So it's a nice it's a nice little moment to sit back and give yourself a pat on the back But really, for us, it's still the first step in a long journey.
1: Next week, in part two of my interview with Canva co-founder Cameron Adams, he reveals the lessons learned working at tech giant Google, the challenges of Canva's rapid scale-up, doubling its revenue and user growth every year for the past few, and the weight of becoming a billionaire, at least on paper. That's next week.